0: Listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. So there's a war going on within you. In your mind, there's a battle going on, and it's a battle between the world's perspectives and God's perspectives. Let's pray. God, as we approach a difficult topic today, Lord, I just would ask that you would uh, be here in our midst. Um, Lord, I, I want to say only what you'd have me say today. Uh, help me to approach this topic with grace, Lord, and um, I just would ask that uh, through uh, your word that hearts and lives would be changed, um, that we would see victory in this aspect of the war within. We ask this in Christ's name, Amen. So those different perspectives, those battling perspectives, um, they're evidence in our relationships. And this shouldn't really be a surprise. When man fell, that is, when man chose sin and the world fell, those, all those relationships were fractured. The idyllic, perfect world that had existed before the fall, where man was in perfect relationship with God and Adam and Eve were in perfect relationship with each other, and man was in a perfect relationship with the environment, all that changed when man chose sin. All those relationships were broken as a result of man choosing sin. And to this day, the evil one, Satan, seeks to destroy our relationships. And he can do it through our neglect of those relationships, and you can do it through the sins that we, we uh, commit that impact those relationships. God has made us to be in relationship with him. He's made us to be in relationship with one another as well. So when Satan can do anything to destroy those relationships, to break up those relationships, he'll do that because it further separates us from what God's best is for our life. So in this series, we've been looking at this whole idea of the war uh, within us. This idea that we seek or want to do the right things, but there's something within us, oftentimes, that keeps us from doing the right things. In last week, we looked at the whole area of money and our stewardship of it. Uh, we've seen how this, the world's perspectives in that area differ from our own. And we've seen the struggles and challenges that we can have In our modern world as it relates to the use of money. And today, we're going to be looking at the same idea of uh, these competing uh, ideas, perspectives, in the whole area of sexual relations. And somehow, I drew the short straw and ended up having to talk about this topic. Um, So, about a month and a half ago, Ricardo sends out the email. I think he left, right? He didn't want to be here for me to give him a hard time. Um... So about a month and a half ago, Ricardo sends out the email about what this sermon series was about, and he makes the assignments on the topics, and then I, I looked at the topic that I was going to be assigned, and I was like, dude, what did I do to you, right? You know, this is not what you usually think about having to talk about on, on Sunday morning. But in all seriousness, um, this is difficult to talk about for a real important reason, um, there's probably no other area in modern life in our world today where we as Christians are called to live counterculturally than it is within the sexual aspect of our lives. Um, there's a recent Gallup study that showed that 89% of American adults think it is wrong to criticize someone else's life choices. In the mere fact that today, um, I'll be speaking to this from a biblical perspective and talking about uh, what God's expectations are on this topic. That mere fact that I'm doing that for a majority of people in America today makes me wrong. In fact, makes me evil. And uh, that's where we've come as a society. However, we as Christians have to live. We live by an objective... Now you'll come back. (laughs) We live by an objective moral standard um, that calls us to repentance and obedience. Today's man wants to live by his own standards and wonders why he's never satisfied. I'll say one last thing before we jump in. Um, This isn't an easy topic to talk about. Um, It's not easy because the last thing that I want to do is come across as being judgmental in any kind of way. And I think most of you here know me well enough to know that's not who I am. Um, And I say this maybe more for those that might listen to the podcast later, but Every aspect of what I share today is as convicting to me as it may be to you and to anybody that's listening to this as well. That's the power of the God that we serve. The fact that there's an objective moral standard. Something that stands outside of ourselves and calls us to who he is and what he desires for our life. It convicts me as much as it convicts anybody. So I say that because uh, this topic can be a very touchy subject um, in our world today. I want to begin by, we talked about this idea of competing perspectives, I want to begin by just understanding uh, five perspectives that the world has about um, sexual uh, aspects of our being today. One is that society has become over-sexualized. Uh, some of you might remember the controversy on social media about two or three years ago. There was a mom that posted, I think, on Facebook and maybe Instagram as well, posted a picture of, and I think it's going to come up there in a second, but posted a picture of size four shorts for girls and size four shorts for boys. And it's, it's a stunning picture. Why do we live in the kind of world that says to little girls that, you, uh, that we've created this aspect of sexuality for them at four years old, right? Right? Sort of a crazy thing. It's part of the, our society becoming hypersexualized. Another aspect of it is this whole focus, over focus on body image, right? Um, you know, people obsess about it. There's you know young ladies that will commit suicide because of it. There's this uh, in, huge focus on our society on body image. No longer is. Um, is our focus perhaps on fitness or on conditioning or living well or taking care of our body because it 's a temple it 's about looking good, right? I think I had a picture up of that that 's not me by the way. <laughs> um, third aspect of our society becoming hypersexualized is the aspect of how much sex and sexual innuendo is in the media that we consume in the music, in the movies, uh, in the TV. Uh, recent studies showed that two out of three uh, television episodes had some form of sexual content. And a recent Kaiser Family Foundation study showed that most 11 to 13 year olds actually get the sexual references and, most, and some 8 to 10 year olds even are getting those references. We are effectively destroying the innocence of youth in our culture today. Second, so first was that society has become hyper-sexualized. Second... Uh, porn has objectified women in mechanized sex, separating it from intimacy. Get this, 30% of the total traffic on the internet is porn related. Crazy. 40 years ago in our country, um, somebody that wanted to get their hands on porn walked into a sort of gritty magazine store someplace, walked out of there with a magazine and a plain paper sack, And that was sort of the limits of of pornography. Probably 15 to 20 years ago, it blew up as the internet sort of took over in our culture. And today, um, every 15 or 16 year old boy that has one of these has access to more pornography than anybody had 40 years ago. Just incredible in terms of what it's it's done uh, in our society. Um, When you and I were growing up, and uh, we went to the grocery store with our moms, Uh, mom might have stayed away from the candy aisle, right? Because she didn't want to do that battle with you because she knew you couldn't withstand the temptation of being on that aisle and you were going to ask for something that you wanted on that aisle. Guess what? In today's world, that candy aisle is in your pocket. Anything you want is there and available to you. And this is having a huge impact on young people today. There's a recent research on uh, uh, young people, teenagers, And in this research, they did interviews with uh, young girls, teenage girls. And the girls told stories about how they agreed to have oral sex with a boy if he would agree to at least kiss them. So welcome to the porn world. Sex is now no longer a product of love or a desire for intimacy, but rather a mechanized process simply for personal gratification or satisfaction. That's our world today. Number three, society says that any kind of sexual expression between consenting adults is acceptable. You have natural bents and desires, the world says. Suppressing these is actually wrong. You will only feel actualized when you fulfill them. You'll only feel satisfied when you live them out. Fourth thing that the world says, it says that commitment is not necessarily And certainly relationships can be reworked or rethought as desired or needed. Yes, sometimes in our culture, we um, do um, honor commitment, right? We celebrate 50th wedding anniversaries and so on. And I do think in our culture, it's still looked down upon, frowned upon to um, cheat on your spouse or to cheat on a boyfriend or girlfriend, Uh, but it can be... uh, those commitments can be changed really quickly. We don't have to stay committed. We can move into new relationships. Uh, we, in our country today, over 40% of marriages end in divorce. We're moving quickly in and out of commitment. Doesn't really mean what it used to mean, let's say. And then number five, sex has become an end-all in our society. First, it's the source of identity, right? How often do you hear, hey, I'm straight, I'm gay, I'm lesbian, I'm trans, I'm bi. It's a source of identity within our culture. It's become heightened in importance, but devalued in its use. It's considered a source for satisfaction, yet it's never satisfying. Um... All you have to do to understand how it never satisfies is to look at a cover of Cosmopolitan magazine. Every month, it's the exact same thing, right? Something up in the top left-hand corner talks about sex. If this truly was satisfying, is there anything new that could be said about this? But no, month after month, it feeds into this desire that this will satisfy you, but leaves you completely unsatisfied instead. Now, nearly every one of us struggles in some kind of way with sexual, sh- sexual sin. Whether it's an eating disorder brought on by body image uh, issues. Whether it's an addiction to pornography. Uh, whether it's unfaithfulness to a spouse even in our thought life. Perhaps it's simply the temptation of ungodly sexual activity. Maybe it's the allure or titillation of sexual content. Whatever it is, on and on, sexual sin surrounds us. It's what we have to deal with. And the battle in this area is in our minds. This is where it starts. It can start or it can begin with the um, thought that the woman or man who has that desk near you at work is perhaps more attractive, a better match, or more understanding than your own spouse's. It can begin with the thought that every other single person that you know, every other person that you know who's single, is sexually active, so why not you? It can begin with the idea that when you feel love for someone, you should go ahead and be sexually active. It can begin with filling your heart or your mind with sexual images through the media you consume or with pornography. It can begin by thinking that the feelings you have for someone of the same sex are okay because they have been normalized in our society today. However, it begins, let's be really clear about what God's word has to say. God's word is clear. He says that any sexual activity outside of marriage is morally wrong. It's called sexual immorality in the Bible, and it's talked about over and over again in Scripture. But I want to point us to one particular verse in this regard, and that's Ephesians 5.3. Ephesians 5.3 says, But among you there must not even be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Let's keep looking at what God's perspective is. So we looked at what the world's perspective is. How does it contrast with God's view On human sexuality. Let's be really clear. There's nothing wrong with sex. It's part of God's design for us as human beings. God has two purposes uh, when it came to human sexuality. First, it is a source of intimacy within the marriage relationship. We see this in Galatians 2.24. Or Genesis 2.24 says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, or the King James Version said cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This idea of two becoming one, that's a picture of sexual relations. The fact that this is the source of intimacy, meaning it is the basis for the strength of the marriage relationship, is why when it person engages in sexual activity outside of marriage, it creates so many issues. As many of you know, I work with high school students, and I've worked with young people almost my entire uh, professional life. And one of the things I've come to realize is that when I watch a couple break up, and that breakup is ugly, and it's so just torn with emotions, and I can see the recovery process being so difficult for them. I've come to recognize that the reason it's that way is because they've been sexually active, almost without fail. And it's part of the way that God's made us is that when you engage in sexual activity, there's an intimacy that's created in that. And so when we mess with what God's design is, we leave ourselves as these open, vulnerable, messed up individuals that are struggling with some of these problems that we may have had in the past. So in God's design, uh, sex is the source for intimacy. And second, it is the means of procreation. We see this in Genesis 1, and 28, where God gives these words. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Just like in that whole area of intimacy where Satan can destroy God's best by uh, messing with what God would desire for us, the same thing happens in this whole area of of procreation as well. Um, Forty years ago, there was a revolution in the United States and the whole world actually where uh, birth control became an option, where sex could be separated from procreation. In 1973, that was brought another step further in the United States when abortion was made legal. So you had another separation between, a uh, connection between procreation and sexual um, activity. Um, and it's not a surprise. I mean, this is Satan's desire is to mess up what God's best is for our life. And this is one of the ways and one of the areas that he's done that. Um, I want to be clear about one thing uh, when you talk talking about this topic uh, this is not a statement of any kind about decisions that husbands and wives might make about birth control. I, my big thing in that area is that you, as a couple, uh, would pray about it, would think about it, and would consider it from, uh, f- for God's personal conviction for you in this regard. It's not a statement in general. However, God's purpose uh, within uh, marriage is that sex is a source for intimacy and it is a means for procreation. Now remember earlier I said that there's this battle going on in our minds. And um, I want to look at a passage that will really illustrate that for us. When we take a look at now at 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to take a look at the first six verses and dive into this a little bit. 1 Peter chapter 4 uh, beginning at verse 1. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless while living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Let's break this down a little bit. When you look back at verse 1... Um, and the second part of it says, arm yourselves also with the same attitude or same mind in the ESV. That word attitude or mind uh, is a Greek word that only shows up one other time in the New Testament. And that's in Hebrews 4.12. And that word means intent. And we start, that helps us give some meaning to this. Because Christ's intention was to be obedient and to put sin to death through his own death on the cross. And that's to be our intent as well. Uh, to be humble, to be obedient, and to put sin to death, to no longer practice it. And we sort of see the results of that. What is it that you're no longer practicing? You see that in verses 2 and 3 where it talks about what many of us probably experienced at some point in our past, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, so on, uh, describing what that characteristic is. So that's left behind by a decision to take on, to have that intent that Christ had. In verse 4, though, you see something interesting that I think really describes much of what you see in the world today. They are surprised that you do not want to join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. I think the first half of that, uh, the reckless wild living, that, you know, dis, uh, this idea of not joining them, I remember that. You know, those locker room conversations when you're a kid and uh, participating in sports and so on. But um, I think it's only been in the last maybe few years where we've seen in the, this country where this aspect of heaping abuse on you, that because you're choosing God's best for your life, because you're choosing to obey him in this area of life, you actually get abuse heaped on you. Let's go on just a little bit more in this passage, because there's one other thing that I want to draw out that I I found interesting as I was going through it. So it talks about uh, the aspect that there will be judgment, uh, and that's coming. Uh, We knew that from other places in Scripture as well. Um. But it says something interesting. It says, so they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body. I, just, I was really struck by this, uh, the idea of this, because um, it would have been easy to just say God's going to judge, right? But so much of the problems that we have in this sexual area of our lives have judgments that are just consequences that aren't specifically God judging somebody. You think about, I mean, the prevalence of sexual disease within our society today, astronomical. I mean, it just, it's scary how significant, how huge uh, this particular area is. That's not necessarily God's judgment in one sense. It's about a judgment that's been, that happened in regard to the body. Um, it goes on area after area. The brokenness, the uh, uh, mental illness, uh, the uh, emotional baggage and troubles that we have because of poor decisions that we make about in this area of our life. They're part of this human standards of uh, judgment that happen in our body. But God's standard is clear. clear. He says, but live according to God in regard uh, to the spirit. So, within us, each of us, there's this war raging. These ideas of man's perspective, the world's perspective, in competition with God's view on the world. And in our culture today, in our world today, we're just surrounded by this. Our access to sexual content, to imagery, to... it's this over-sexualized aspect of, of this world means that we're probably dealing with it in a way that nobody else in this country has ever had to deal with it before. To be successful with this, to be able to successfully do what God wants in our lives, it really requires that we renew our minds. And we talked about this probably you know each of the last two weeks as well, but I want to I bring it up again and finish with this and look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is Paul speaking to us, and he says... I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, meaning Christians, by the mercy of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Even that idea of our bodies as a living sacrifice, we get the sense of the purity that God desires for us. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind." So those aspects of the world's way of thinking, they want to conform us to it. They want us to be like the world's way of thinking. And God says, no, I want your mind to be transformed uh, so that you're living for me, doing my will, doing what is good, acceptable, and perfect. I want to close with this as we think about um, this passage and this topic. This is difficult stuff. There's probably not one of us in here that hasn't wrestled with one aspect or another of it. And the reality is, even as I've shared some of these things today, you might have been, just uh, feel even beaten down by it. That it's so difficult, that it's so um, challenging. I've, I've made mistakes, and I see those mistakes, and I see the effects of those mistakes. And uh, that leaves us feeling broken, lost, uh, without hope. And I want to tell you, though, that that's yesterday. That does not have to be your future. That doesn't define who you are going forward. That's the idea of renewal, of transformation of the mind, is that we're not continually bogged down by the sins that we did do, that we used to do. Um, We don't have to be continually caught up in those kinds of things. My hope for every one of you today is that if this has been an area of challenge for you in your life, that going forward would be a new day for you, that you would renew your mind, embrace God's best for your life, and not be caught up in uh, these issues of sexual sin and the results of those issues perhaps at some point um, in the past as well. I'm going to close in prayer. The uh, worship team is going to come up and uh, while I pray, the ushers can come forward as well. God, we love you. It's so hard, Lord, when your word calls us to a standard that's so different than the culture around us. Lord, there's this battle in in our minds. We struggle with some of these sins. We're not sure how to uh, deal with them, Lord. But God, I just ask for today to be a new day a chance for our minds to be renewed, that the burdens that we've had in this area, the sins that we've committed in the past that continue to weigh on us where we deal with the consequences of them from a bodily perspective would no longer impact us going forward, Lord. There would be a real renewal of our minds and we would embrace your way, embrace your thinking on this difficult topic in our world today, that we would have the courage to live counterculturally. God, I just would ask that each person here today would be free in this area of their life, Lord. They would seek and grow and desire what you want for them. God, I just would ask that um, even now as we take this offering, that these gifts would be used to further your kingdom, they'd be used to make a difference in the lives of uh, this community as we reach out and share your radical love with others. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.